Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Guns clapping. Let's make it happen. Glow, glow, glow. Bop, 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 bop. Do, 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 do. We're back to the hood classic. And not really sure if this is a hood classic. Not. A guy popped up on my Twitter feed. I know. Right. A guy popped up on my Twitter feed and was like, hey, um, you should read my book. And I was like, OK. That's really it. Like that was back in February. And now we're where we are. And I'm like, I need a book to read before I start reading uh, stuff for Halloween. So cool. Let's do it. So, uh, this is written by a guy named DK, uh, on Twitter. He is at King 1987 underscore. The book is available on, uh, Amazon. Um, <clears throat> we gonna see. I hope this dude knows that just because, you know, I'm reading this book and he asked me to read the book doesn't mean I have to like the book. Like if I, if, if it's, if, if there's fuckery, we going to discuss the fuckery. That's all I'm saying. I should have made him sign a waiver before I read the book. I never think that far ahead. Damn. Anyhow. So this is wifey of a trap King, uh, created by DK. You know, I have, Hood classics written by black women. I just read one. You know, the one about the white woman that had the black woman on the cover. Closed legs don't get fed. I just read that one. Um, but I have others. And we're going to get to those pretty damn soon. But this dude's uh, book was up on the on my list. And so we're going to knock this out. And we're going to see what it do. So with no further ado, by DK, this is Wifey of a Trap King. Prologue, 2011. Quilil. Jesus Christ. Quilil. Q-U-A-L-I-L. Or L-I-L. I think it's Khalil. I, I want to say it's Khalil. Like if it's Q-U-A, doesn't that make a cuss sound? Is that how it works? Let me see. Quahog. Nope. It's Quilil. I've. I know. 
white people, you name your kids fucking Apple. So shut the fuck up. But I'm still like, that's the very first word in the in the book. And I wasn't ready for it. My mind wasn't prepared. That's all it is. Quillil peddled drugs on the 143rd Street in Harlem like a true D-boy that he was. He had a knot full of money in his pocket with more to come. New York winters were always a bitch, but that didn't stop hustlers from getting money. The black Nautica coat he wore kept him warm enough. He blew on his hands to keep it from going numb. Hey Q, let me get an eight ball G, one fiend asked. He was a regular, so Quillil didn't mind breaking him off. He reached in his pocket and pulled out a small baggie of coke. The crackhead handed him the money and Quillil slid in the baggie. After Quillil served him, a black tenant Escalade he had never seen on the block before pulled up. He instantly reached for the blamer. I know he meant blammer though, and I appreciate it. Not enough niggas call their guns blammers no more. I mean, yeah, there's blickies and there's glizzies, but blammer, nigga, a Megatron-sized blammer is undefeated. I don't give a fuck. And if you're wondering what a Megatron-sized blammer is, look at fucking Megatron. Megatron is like fucking nine feet tall. I still haven't figured out how he transformed into that little gun that fit in uh, Star Starscream's hands. That was some bullshit. Never figured that part out. But it was better than the movies where they made that nigga into a, into a fucking jet. That was just fucking stupid. Like, who the fuck? Like, who the, where, where the fuck did you even get that concept from? Nowhere in the world has Megatron ever been anything other than a blammer, my nigga. Also, shout out to Calvin Johnson. That nigga was the truth. He instantly reached for the blammer he had tucked on his waist. But yes, it's, it's he spelled it blammer. Where he was from, you shot first and ask questions later. Whoa, whoa, chill out, Q. It's just me, baby, Mello said, rolling down the pasture window. His right-hand man, Stevie, was driving. Oh, my bad, boss man. You know it's been hot around here lately. I didn't recognize his ride, Quillil told him, tucking his gun back on his hip. I just bought it this morning. Oh, this shit clean, Khalil said, admiring how fresh it was. The 22-inch chrome wheels Mello had on the truck gave it an extra glow. You holding shit down out here, right? No doubt. It's cold as fuck, but junkies still need they fixed, and I'm going to make sure they get it. That's what I like to hear, youngster. That's what I like to hear, Mello said, lighting up a cigarette. Mello ran Harlem. He was a dark-skinned, husky-built dude with long dreads and a reputation for killing. His teardrop tattoos let you know he was about gunplay. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm sorry. This... I'm sorry. You got to know, I've been through the cartel. I've been through closed legs, don't get fed. I've been through just fuck shit. I kind of like this already. We going to see, though. They always... Yeah. Mello had a clique of niggas moving away for him on the east side, including Quillil. They did all the work while he reaped the benefits. Mello was a flashy cat. From his pimped-out rides, diamond earrings, and necklaces to his platinum grill, he made sure to flex on niggas whenever he got the chance to. Nobody in Harlem did it up like he did. Quillil had been hustling on the block for a few years, and he was ready to elevate his position in the game. He was only 18, but he was wise beyond his years. Can I holler at you about something? Quillil asked him. He knew he was Mello's best soldier and was certain he would hear him out. Shoot, youngin. When can I get off the corner? I mean, I've been doing this shit long enough. I'm ready for a promotion. Mello and Stevie started laughing right in his face. Quillil didn't appreciate being made fun of, but he didn't say anything about it. 
After all, Mella was the boss. Promotion, huh? Yeah. Look, baby boy, I see you out here grinding and all that. You're my number one ace out here, but right now, I need you on the block holding shit down like you've been doing. But if you keep working hard, we'll talk, Mello lied. He had no intention of taking Quillil off the corner. He flicked a cigarette out the window, and Stevie sped off, leaving Quillil looking dumbfounded in the cold. Little nigga want my spot. I can see it in his eyes, Mello commented as Stevie made a turn at the light. You want me to take Shorty out? Stevie asked, ready to put a bullet in Quillil if Mello gave him the word. Nah, the little nigga's valuable to us. Shit, he's my best worker. But niggas like Walil ain't satisfied with just being workers. He may be young, but he wants to run shit. I was the same way when I was his age. But there's only room in Harlem for one king, and that's yours truly. I'll kill that little nigga before I let him sit on my throne, Mello stated. Most deaf, and I ain't talking about the rapper. Stevie co-signed. <laughs> I would have slapped Stevie for saying that shit. Nigga, if you don't shut the fuck up. Put on some most deaf. Uh, put on that, um... Um... Mama, or Umi said, shit's uplifting. Shut the fuck up next time, though. Mello was a man in Harlem and didn't plan on giving up his spot anytime soon. He flooded the hood with dope. If you wanted to hustle uptown, you had to see him. Quillil ain't gonna bite the hand that feeds him. Without us, he ain't got no work to sell. Trust me, you ain't got nothing to worry about, son, Stevie assured him. Yeah, you're probably right. I feel like hitting the strip club and pulling some bitches tonight. Hit up everybody and see who's trying to roll. Say no more, my nigga, Stevie said, pulling out his cell. There was nothing he enjoyed more than seeing beautiful women get butt naked for dollar bills. AK came running up to Quillil after Stevie pulled off. Yo, who was that you was talking to in that black Escalade? Mellow. Quillil answered dully. Damn, that nigga got another whip? He get a new ride every fucking week. Yeah, and we pay him for it, Quillil stated. What you mean, B? I mean, we're the ones doing all the work, standing on these corners day and night, and Mello's the one benefiting from our labor, Quillil said, breaking it down to his partner. AK was his right-hand man and best friend. No matter what... Right-hand man, best friend? I thought they were synonymous. I don't know. No matter what went down, they always had each other's back. That means AK's gonna fucking betray... Quillil at some point in this book. Damn, you're right. I never even thought about it like that. Truth be told, I think we could do this shit on our own. We can, but we ain't got no connect. And Mello got shit locked down right now. We gotta get him out the way first before we could take over. How we gonna do that though? The nigga almost untouchable. Nobody untouchable except God, fam. Damn. You're right about that. So what's the plan? Walk with me, Khalil said, walking down the street. He explained to AK the plan he had devised to get rid of Mello and Stevie. AK listened attentively. After hearing Khalil's brilliant plan, a devilish smile came across AK's face. So, we killing two birds with one stone? He asked his lifelong friend. Exactly. Well, let's do this shit. When we putting this plan into effect? Tonight. Quillil said firmly. If the nigga had gotten a promotion, if Mello had said yes, would he still be murderous? These are the things that are going to keep me up at night. Not long at night, but will keep me up for a little while. Stevie juggled the keys to his apartment as he tongued down the big booty Cuban stripper he had brought home from the club. 
Stevie was a sucker for a chick with a fat ass, and Shorty had just that. He paid her 300 to come home with him and planned on getting his money's worth. He opened the door and led her to his bedroom. Both stripped down. Ooh, Poppy, that's my G-spot, she moaned as Stevie ate her pussy. Things were just starting to heat up until the lights were turned on. The girl screamed when she saw two men dressed in all black with guns in their hands. She quickly pulled the covers over her bare breasts. What the fuck? Stevie stopped mid-sentence when he turned around and was staring down the barrel of Khalil's forty caliber pistol. Spelled staring wrong. Did we catch you at a bad time, homie? Khalil asked sarcastically. AK was standing across the room. Damn, Shorty got some nice-ass titties, AK admitted. What's, what's going on, man? Stevie stuttered. He had been the guy on the other side of the gun plenty of times. But now he was at the mercy of two youngsters who weren't afraid to let his... Okay, he just thinks blammers are spelled that way, so I'm going to just... But now he was at the mercy of two youngsters who weren't afraid to let their blammers talk. What's your name, dear? Quillero asked the stripper. She was frantic. And Angela, please don't kill me, please, she pleaded as tears rolled down her cheeks. Well, that all depends on your boy Stevie. Stevie was sweating bullets. Quillero turned his attention back to him. We got business to discuss. Huh? What business, man? Look, I I got a hundred thousand in my safe. Y'all can have it. They both laughed. We don't want your chump change, nigga. We about to take over the whole shit anyway, AK proclaimed. No doubt. Now, when I came to you and Mello earlier on some business shit, y'all laughed at me. The way your bitch ass was giggling, you would have thought you was watching the Cat Williams comedy special. But ain't shit funny now, is it? Nah, man. It wasn't like that, Quillil. Look, just let me go, man. Whatever y'all want me to do, I'll do it. Just don't kill me, dog, please, Stevie begged. He was scared shitless. The gangster persona he was known for was gone. I can't believe we've been working under this hoe-ass nigga for this long. Getting punked in front of his bitch. Q, let me smoke this pussy. AK spat, cocking back at 38. Nah, this what's gonna happen. You gonna hit Mellow and get him to come over here. You mean right now? Stevie asked. Nah, nigga. Tomorrow. Yeah, right now. Stop acting stupid. How am I gonna do that? It's the middle of the night. Khalil whacked him across the nose with the butt of his gun, breaking it. Ah! <laughs> Stevie screamed in pain. He covered his nose, trying to stop the bleeding. He was leaking. Stop playing with me, nigga. I don't care what you tell him. Just get his ass over here, or I'm blowing you and this bitch's head off. Khalil warned him. Stevie grabbed his phone and dialed Mello's number. Mello answered. Stevie made up some lie about how he had to speak to him about something important and he couldn't wait. Stevie, do you see what time it is, son? Mello asked groggily. He was knocked out cold before Stevie called him. I know, dog. My bad. But this shit can't wait and I can't really talk to you about it over the phone. Mello could sense the urgency in his boy's voice and agreed to meet him at his apartment. He's on his way, Stevie told him after he hung up. Good, Quillil told him. Look, man, we can work together. I got Mello to come over here. Once you get rid of him, Harlem is yours, baby. Nah, I don't work with snakes to help set their own man up, Quillil told him. And Harlem is already mine. He raised his pistol and put a bullet right between Stevie's eyes. Angela jumped up as his lifeless body fell across the bed. Oh my God, please don't hurt me, please. I swear I won't say a word to anyone, please, she pleaded. I know you won't, Quillil said. Angela started to gather her clothes until AK shot her in the chest. He dropped to the floor. You was really about to let this bitch go? He questioned. 
Nah, I knew you'd finish her off. Let's get out of here. They exited the apartment and ran to their car that was parked across the street. Took y'all asses long enough, Leslie told them after they got in. They waited for Mello to arrive. Where is this nigga? Quillil asked aloud. Twenty minutes passed and Mello still hadn't shown up. Speak of the devil, AK said, noticing Mello's black Escalade pull up. Mello hopped out, dressed in a red bomber jacket and black jeans. He entered Stevie's apartment building. Quillil handed a burner phone to Leslie. Make the call, he instructed. She did. 911, how can I help you? I just heard gunshots in the apartment across from me. Please send a unit. Please hurry, Leslie frantically said. Okay, miss. I need you to calm down and give me your name and address, the operator said. Leslie gave her a fake name and the address. Okay, ma'am. Are, are you in any danger? No, but please hurry. The shots were loud. Someone may be dead in there, Leslie said before hanging up. Within minutes, police sirens could be heard coming down the block. Quillel pulled off. Numerous police cars stormed the scene. That nigga finished, AK laughed as they drove away. Seconds later, Mello was brought out in handcuffs, facing double murder charges. Where'd they do that at? Kind of poor ass. Kind of poor ass policing is that? Nigga, I just got here. Literally, cameras. Do you not have cameras? Also, is this the hood? Is this the hood? Because the cops is pulling up awful quick. Also, also, for real? That was your plan? To put this nigga in jail? You know that ain't going to stick, right? It can't stick. If that sticks, I'm going to be furious. Like, there's no way this nigga going to jail on a double murder beef when he ain't even got a gun. The nigga... I mean, he, he probably does have a gun. And I mean, I can see if you got him on drug charges or something like that that's in his car or something like that. I don't fucking know. But not on double murder charges. Come on, y'all. That's just lazy. The nigga ain't even got the gun that the bullets came from. What are we doing? Eight years later, 2019, chapter one. Kiara pulled up to about 50 niggas hustling on the block. The Jefferson houses were one of the roughest housing projects in Harlem. The 18-story building was anything but pretty. Living conditions were poor, and murder was as common as kids playing at recess. There were days when you could literally smell death in the air, but that's just how it goes in the hood. Man, if I said that a million times, I haven't. But it does sound like something from uh, Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society and... Don't be a menace while to don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. It sounds like it's been said a lot, right? That's just what it's like in the hood. You know, you you supposed to say it in that in that voice. There were days when you could literally smell death in the air, but that's just how it goes in the hood. You know what I'm saying? It was the first of the month, which was the gold mine for hustlers. Fiends were scattered all over the jacks looking for a fix. Lines were wrapped around the corner like the ones you see at Starbucks. Only coffee wasn't being sold. Kiara parked her 2017 red Dodge Charger and made her way to the apartment on the third floor. Hey, Kiara. How you doing, Phil asked. He was wearing a dingy, dirty white t-shirt that had deteriorated to brown and some black jeans with more holes in it than a Florida golf course. Phil was a strung-out old man. Back in the day, he used to be a smooth-talking pimp with a fleet of women at his disposal. Bitches flocked to him. His long hair, milk chocolate skin, and tall frame made him desirable to women. 
Phil was one of the biggest pimps to ever come out of Harlem. Harlem may be known for prominent king pimps like Frank Matthews and Nicky Barnes, but the pimp scene was big as well in the 70s and 80s. Phil had a mouthpiece like no other. In his heyday, he could talk a nun out of her pussy, but when crack hit the black communities in the 80s, Phil was one of many who fell victim to it. Now, he was just an old junkie living in the same projects he used to run hoes in and out of. Hey, Phil, you okay? Kiara genuinely asked him. Despite being a junkie, Phil was a nice and likable guy. He didn't bother anybody or cause any drama. All he wanted to do was get high in peace. I'm good, shorty. How you doing? I'm alright. What's up? Kiara couldn't help but notice how he was trembling and kept scratching his matted afro. He needed a hit fast. You think you can loan me a few dollars? I'll pay you back. Kiara knew what he was going to use the money for, but she reached inside her purse anyway and pulled out a few dollars to give him. Kiara had a soft spot for Phil. She knew what it was like growing up around junkies because her own mother was one. Thanks, shorty. I appreciate it, Phil said, smiling, showing his toothless grin. Kiara hoped Phil would eventually get himself clean, but today wasn't that day. Kiara continued walking, hopeful that she could get through without getting hit on by any of the locals. They were always trying to holler at her. Kiara was gorgeous. Here goes the, the rundown. Her caramel complexion, 5'4", 140-pound frame, C-cut breasts, long sandy brown hair, hazel eyes, and an ass that'll make the female rapper Trina bow down. Kept niggas sweating her. That's the whole thing. Like, he laid out all of that and then said, kept niggas sweating her. Like, there's a comma, kept niggas sweating her. So... Her caramel complexion, 5'4", 140-pound frame, with C-cut breasts, long sandy brown hair, hazel eyes, and an asshole make the female rapper Trina bow down, kept niggas sweating her. Why do we have to say female? So, I don't know. In the midst of all that, Kiara was that bitch and carried herself as such. She turned heads everywhere she went. Damn, Kiara, you looking dumb right. When you gonna fuck with a nigga, Raino asked. Raino always tried to shoot a shot at Kiara, and she always Dikembe Mutombo this shit. I'm, I love the fact that he used Dikembe Mutombo. I don't love the fact that this nigga spelled Dikembe D-I-K-E-M-E-B-E. Dyke Meeby. <laughs> Dyke Meeby Mutombo. <laughs> I'm sorry, my nigga. I like your book. Okay. Reyna was nothing but a scam artist and a petty drug dealer. His main hustle was robbing, though. Rayna wasn't the least bit attractive. He was a light-skinned, chubby nigga with bad acne, but didn't lack for confidence. When Farrakhan started eating bacon, Kiara laughed and kept walking. All of Rayno's homeboys started busting up laughing. She straight dissed your ass, Slim said. Rayno's pride was hurt. Stuck-up bitch thinks she funny. We gonna see about that, he said to himself. Once she got inside the building, the smell of piss and cigarette smoke overtook her. Kiara put her hand over her nose as she walked to the elevator. Are you fucking kidding me? There was an out-of-service note posted on it. Something was always broken the projects. Duh. Kiara was forced to take the stairs. She was dog-tired. She had just worked an eight-hour shift at Diamonds. Diamonds was a strip club uptown, similar to the one in the film Players Club. The owner was a shisty cat named Money. Kiara didn't love working there, but it paid the bills. After walking up three flights of stairs and making it to her apartment, Kiara was met with a noise complaint notice on her door. This is some 
bullshit, she said aloud. If she received two more noise complaints, she could possibly get evicted. So let me make sure I got this straight. They got niggas dealing dope out front. Murders are happening every day, B. That's just what it's like growing up in the hood. They ain't got no working elevator. Niggas is pissing in the lobby and she's getting hit for a noise complaint. And if she gets two more, she's getting kicked out. What kind of homeowners association is this shit? Who's running this motherfucker? Who told on her? Where's the Karen? Kiara liked to play music in the morning while she cleaned the house, but it was never ridiculously loud. Kiara knew it was a couple that lived below her that complained to the manager because they were always the ones asking her to turn her music down. She hated living there, but for the moment, this was the best she could do. Once inside her place, Kiara hopped in the bed and figured she'd call it a night. Just as she was getting comfortable, her phone rang. What you want, Maxine? Kiara answered dryly. Damn, bitch, it's like that? What's wrong with you? She asked. Maxine was Kiara's best friend. They were thick as thieves. When you saw one, you usually saw the other. Maxine did a lot of shady shit, whether it was sleeping with married men or stealing from her own mama. But Kiara never judged her, because whenever shit hit the fan, Maxine always had her back, and vice versa. Nothing, girl. I'm just playing with you. What's up? This party tonight at Club Supreme, it's gonna be some boss-ass niggas in here. It's an all-white affair. Let's go. Maxine was always looking for a high roller to trick money off on her. If she was giving us some pussy, best believe the nigga was breaking bread. He spelled best bet. Maxine didn't see herself as a prostitute, though. If a dude wanted to slide in between her thighs, she was going to finesse him as much as she could. You got to pay to play was her motto. I don't know, Maxine. I really ain't in a club mood. I don't feel like shaking my ass for free tonight. Kara would rather dance half naked on stage for loot than for free in a club full of thirsty dudes with no money. Girl, you need to get out the house. It's been what? Over a year since you broke up with Pierre? It's time for you to get some new dick in your life. They both laughed. You're crazy. I'm being serious, though. You ain't had no dick in how long? I've had dick, Maxine. It just wasn't good dick, Kiara stated. The last guy she let smash was Tyler, and it was terrible. Kiara met Tyler at her job. She liked her shit beat up, but she could barely feel Tyler's pinky penis inside of her. You too damn tall for your dick to be this small, she thought to herself, while Tyler was on top of her. She was so disappointed at his lack of size. That's why I don't mess with guys I meet at my job. Niggas were always asking for her number, trying to see her outside of work, but Kiara never did. She wanted to keep her work life and personal life separate, but she thought Tyler was cute. So she gave him a shot, and he turned out to be a waste of a fuck. Bottom line, you ain't had any good dick in a minute. You need to come out with me tonight, girl, Maxine told her. Kiara was currently in a sex drought and was growing tired of having to pleasure herself every night. She was running through vibrators like the Kardashians run through black men. Kiara was in serious need of some dick therapy. That's what I'm saying, Key. It's time for you to move on and find a new man. Pierre locked up. Ain't shit his ass can do for you now, plus he played you. Fuck him. Girl, I ain't tripping off Pierre no more. I just haven't found a guy to fuck with heavy like that. That's why you need to come out with me tonight. All the ballers gonna be a supreme. I told you I'm done fucking with street niggas, Maxine. It's too much drama and bullshit with them. My next man gonna be a square for real, Kiara stated with conviction. After what she went through with Pierre, Kiara no longer had any interest in dating gangsters, hustlers, or any type of man involved with the streets. They came with too much baggage for her. So I'm a I'm a tell y'all to buy this on Amazon, but 
But I'm also going to say, I don't know if it was the writer or if it's Amazon who did this, but this book is fucking awful when it comes to uh, paragraphs. There are none. It's just blocks. It's fucking blocks of script. And so if you lose your spot, good fucking luck. Chapter 2. Kiara was with Pierre for two years. She had a sweet tooth for chocolate men and he fit the bill. Pierre was from Brooklyn, Brownsville to be exact, home of the legendary rap group MOP. They're legendary? Annie Up. Okay. Cold as ice. Uh huh. The You Don't Know remix with Jay Z. That's three. Uh uh-uh. uh. I already said the remix, right? He was tall, dark skinned, broad shoulders, and had enough ways to make a nigga seasick. A lot of people say he resembled the actor, Morris Chestnut. Pierre was a hustler. The block was his office. Kiara met him at a house party. As soon as Pierre laid eyes on her, he was hooked. Yo, who was shorty over there in the blue dress? Pierre asked his boy, Hakeem. I don't know, B. I ain't never seen her before. She bad, though. Hell yeah, she is. I'm on that. Pierre made his way over to where Kiara was and introduced himself. I'm Pierre, and you are? He asked, taking her hand. Kiara, she said, smiling. Well, it's nice to meet you, Kiara. Likewise. They ended up talking the rest of the party. Pierre was feeling her, and vice versa. He had a swag about him that Kiara had never seen before. He was confident, but cocky at the same time. Like many women, she had a thing for trap niggas. She loved roughnecks, and Pierre was as street as they come. The two hit it off right away. They were practically inseparable their first few months of dating, but Pierre never pressured Kiara for sex during that time, which she appreciated. When they finally did sleep together, it was everything Kiara had hoped it would be. Pierre was well endowed, and he knew how to put it down in the bedroom. He was a phenomenal peach eater and loved pleasing his woman. He spoiled Kiara like no other. Pierre took her on shopping sprees almost daily, bought her all kinds of fancy jewelry, and went on trips to Atlantic City frequently. He spared no expense when it came to his woman. Like any girl from the hood, Kiara became addicted to this lifestyle. After only a few months of dating, Pierre asked Kiara to move in with him, and she happily agreed. Things were moving fast, but she loved him. Pierre made her feel special. He had plenty of women chasing him in the streets, but it didn't bother her none. It came with the territory of dating a hustler. Pierre knew what he had at home. I don't know any women who actually talk like that. Like, it's okay, you know, if he run the streets, because I'm the one with the ring. I don't know no women who talk like that. Like, not near one. It's cool if you his other, because I'm his lover. Like, what? Nah, nigga, what? I see a lot of men writing books where women are like, he he's the king of the streets, and as long as he out here, as long as he comes home to me at night, that's all good. I don't see too many women writing books like that. I'm just saying. Kiara was everything you wanted in a woman. Gorgeous, loyal, and a beast in the kitchen. She was a triple threat. A beast in the kitchen. Let's go. Besides, Kiara didn't just spend Pierre's money. She helped him make it. They were a team. Kiara moved work across state lines for him. Some would say she was crazy for taking penitentiary risks, but that's just the kind of person Kiara was. She was a ride-or-die chick, which is one of the things Pierre loved about her most. Kiara's older brother was heavy in the dope game until he got knocked for a double murder. Oh, shit. 
They really convicted that nigga. For real? For real. Okay. Okay. So she was familiar with the streets and what came along with it. The first time Pierre asked her to make a run for him, he didn't know how she would react. But when she agreed without hesitation, he knew he had a keeper. The streets were nothing to play with. Niggas lived by the kill or be killed mentality, and you had to be prepared for whatever. Kiara may have been a woman, but had more heart than a lot of niggas in the game. We the new Bonnie and Clyde, only we ain't robbing banks. We taking over the streets, Pierre told her one day. Okay. They had a routine, and it worked well. Once a month, Kiara would make a run to New Jersey to cop work from Pierre's connect, Rico, and bring it back to the city for Pierre and Hakim to move. They would get the work off like clockwork. To Kiara, it was easy money until she almost lost her life one night. Kiara had just got back from Jersey. When she pulled up to their building in Brownsville, she saw a few dudes hanging outside. They looked like bums, so Kiara didn't pay them any mind. She parked her car and got the gym bag full of bricks out the trunk. Nigga, one thing that should never, ever, 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 ever happen is if you're moving weight, you should not not have a garage. You should have a garage. You should have your own spot if you're moving. It. So you just let her pull up outside of the projects. I'm guessing. Or outside of a brown, outside of a place in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Let's let's do that. Outside of Brownsville, Brooklyn. But you're just going to let her pull up by herself outside of Brownsville, Brooklyn. Grabbing a huge bag full of weight. And ain't nobody out there to meet her? Okay. She parked her bag and got the gym bag full of bricks out the trunk. She began walking to her apartment when one of the dudes she saw hanging outside approached her. He was skinny, with a bald head and a huge scar on the left side of his face. Excuse me, miss. You got any change? He asked. The guy was young, but years of drug abuse aged him. No, sorry. Kara continued walking until the bum tried to snatch her gym bag off her back. She tried to fight him off, but the other two guys he was with ran over and tackled her to the ground. Ah! Kiara yelled in pain. They started kicking her in the ribs. All Kiara could do was pray their feet got tired. She was outnumbered. Stupid bitch! Let's see what's in the bag, the guy with the scar on his face said. He unzipped the bag, and his beady eyes lit up when he saw the dope inside. Oh, this bitch Pablo Escobar, huh? Get her ass up. She probably got a safe in her crib, too. Fuck that. We already got the drugs. Let's just get out of here, man, one of the robbers pleaded. He's right. Let's just leave, the other robber agreed. Nah, this bitch didn't want to give me no change. Now we're about to take everything she got. The scarred-faced robber spat. Let was all he could get out before his brains were on the curb. Pierre aimed a Smith & Wesson forty caliber at the other two and sent hot lead through their bodies, killing them instantly. Bitch-ass niggas, Pierre spat. He rushed over to an injured Kiara on the ground. Key, are you okay? By the way, he spelled lead L-E-D. Key, are you okay? He asked, holding her. Yeah, I'm fine, she replied in obvious pain. We need to get you to a hospital. No, I'm fine, she told Pierre. He helped her up. Her ribs were hurting, but not enough for a trip to the hospital. Kiara grabbed Pierre by his head and kissed him. You saved my life. Thank you. I love you. You're my girl. I'm never going to let anything happen to you. Now go upstairs and let me handle this. And I love you too. You're my girl. I'm never going to let anything happen to you. But can you run dope for me? Can you bring the dope in? 
unwatched? Can you handle large amounts of dope in an area where there's drug addicts all around? I mean, I'm not going to let anything happen to you, but we're like the Bonnie and Clyde. Can you ride or die for me? But I love you, and I'm never going to let anything happen to you, except for just now. Because something happened to you. They, they probably broke your ribs. But other than that, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Probably. I don't know. I can't really call it. Can you? Hey, we're short of brick. Can you go back? And stop at McDonald's. Number two, please. Strawberry shake. Kiara grabbed the gym bag and headed inside. Pierre hit Hakeem. Yo, Hakeem answered. We got a 911. I'm on my way. Hakeem hurried over and helped Pierre get rid of the bodies. The attempted robbery didn't stop Kiara from continuing to run drugs for her man. Money was coming in fast and getting spent even faster. Kiara went on extravagant shopping sprees almost every day, it seemed. Her closet would give Saks Fifth Avenue a run for its money. It was filled with designer clothes and shoes. It was nothing for her to drop 1500 on a Louis Vuitton or Saint Laurent purse. Pierre had the money and he left splurging on his woman. Kiara had everything she ever wanted. A man who loved and spoiled her. Things were going good until Pierre got pulled over by some state troopers. He was driving back from Jersey when it happened. Kiara got sick and couldn't make the run, so Pierre went instead. Can I help you, officers? Pierre asked, playing it cool. You were driving rather slow on the freeway. Why is that? The frail white cop asked him. No, I wasn't. I was doing the limit. License and registration, please. Is this really necessary? Shut up and hand me your license and registration. Now, the frail white cop told him sternly. There's a lot of unnecessary commas in this book. There was another potbelly race soldier. I guess that means a pig. Standing on the opposite side of the car with his hand on his Beretta. Pierre did as he was told. He didn't want to give them any excuse to execute him. Wait right here and keep your fucking hands on the steering wheel where I can see him. Got it? Pierre nodded. He wanted to say something, but held his tongue. Cracker-ass cops. After running Pierre's license, they saw all of his priors and decided to search the vehicle. He knew he was fucked. Well, look what we have here. A nigger with drugs, the racist cop stated to his partner. They found the drugs Pierre wrapped in powdery vases in the trunk of his car. Well, how the fuck wouldn't they? Like... The fuck you doing with pottery vases, dude? Okay. I mean, you could run a nursery, I guess, but still. Along with all the cash he had on him. Looks like your black ass is going to jail tonight, the officer said joyfully. They had him on possession with intent to distribute and money laundering. With his criminal record, Pierre was facing serious time. His lawyer advised him to take a plea deal instead of going to trial. Pierre agreed and took a deal for five to ten years, but Kiara wasn't happy about it. Five to ten years? Are you serious? That's way too long. We can fight this, baby, Kiara said after he told her the news. They were in the visiting room. No, I can't, Key. Even my lawyer said this is a good deal considering my record and what I was caught with. Fuck that lawyer. We'll get a new one. We have to fight this, babe, Kiara said passionately. Tears began falling down her face. Pierre hated there was nothing he could do to console her. I wish things were different, baby. I really do, but they aren't. This is where we are. If I take this to trial and lose, I'm looking at 25 years easy. You know they'll give me an all-white jury, and I'll convict my black ass with the quickness. This deal is our best option, Pierre told her. 
He was speaking facts, but he saw the hurt in her eyes, and she saw how defeated he looked. Well, what am I supposed to do without you, Pierre? They raided our place. I have nothing. What am I going to do for money? I don't know. You're going to have to get a job or something to hold you down until I can figure something out. You know how to hustle. I taught you that much. I'm going to be in here for a minute, so I won't be able to take care of you like I used to. I'm sorry. Kiara was devastated. Pierre was her first true love, and now he was being taken away from her, just like her brother. Kiara was willing to ride it out with him, but she knew it wasn't going to be easy. Kiara had never worked an honest job in her life. Pierre was her only source of income. Although Pierre bought her whatever she wanted, he never actually gave her money. She was 24 and didn't even have a bank account in her name. Kiara realized how stupid she had been not to have her own money stashed away for situations like these. But she never thought Pierre would get caught up like he did. Nigga, he's in the dope game. There's only two ways out. Niggas don't retire except Jay-Z. Like, what? What made matters worse was that Pierre still had to pay Rico back for the drugs the police confiscated when they arrested him. With him being locked up, that debt fell on Kiara's shoulders. That ain't fair. Not paying wasn't an option. Rico was a Dominican cat with no soul. He killed people for a lot less than what Pierre owed him. Kiara didn't know how she was going to come up with the money, but she had to think of something. Whatever you got to do to get that man his bread, do it, or it's going to be bad for both of us, Pierre told her during a visit. Kiara sold her car, pawned all her jewelry, clothes, etc. She even did some side gigs until she finally came up with all the funds. Kiara was eventually able to pay Rico off, but her body wasn't feeling right. She was throwing up nonstop and using the bathroom every five minutes. She figured it was just stress as to why she hadn't been feeling well, but after her period didn't come, Kiara knew something was up. She bought two pregnancy tests. Dude, hire me. I will be your editor. Like, you can send me the transcript for this and I will fix this shit. I will fix it. I will. I got you. Hire me. <sighs> she bought two pregnancy tests and both came back positive. She made an appointment with her doctor and he confirmed she was five weeks pregnant. Kiara didn't know how to feel at first. On one hand, she was happy to be carrying Pierre's seed. But once reality set in, she realized she was in no position to raise a child on her own. Pierre was locked up for possibly 10 years and she had no job or stable income to support herself, let alone another human being. Kiara sat in bed starring at the positive pregnancy test. I'm really pregnant. Her emotions were all over the place, but she didn't want to make any decisions until she spoke to Pierre about it. A few days passed, and Kiara was on a Greyhound, going upstate to Clinton Correctional Facility. She dreaded these trips, but this was the only way she could see her man. Kiara was nervous. She didn't know how Pierre was going to react to her pregnancy. He always talked about wanting a son, but now that he was in prison, that changed everything. Kiara talked to him on the phone a few times after finding out she was pregnant, but didn't mention anything about it. She wanted to break the news to him in person, so that means that Pierre is going to have another woman there or another person on the list, whatever. She was beginning to warm up to the idea of being a mother. A part of her thought having a baby would bring her and Pierre closer together. Once she arrived at the prison, Kiara had to go through the metal detectors, which was always a bitch, because the COs were complete assholes. Now, I'm only going to say this once. Take anything metal out your pockets and put it in a bin. Also, if you're not on the visitors list, you're not going to be able to see the piece of shit MH came here for. Everybody got it? The overweight Hispanic male CO said. 
All the women said yes in unison. Kiera was waiting in line behind a cute girl and her baby. The girl looked to be a few years younger than Kiera. Her neck was draped in diamonds. She was short and petite, chocolate skin, jet black hair, and had a nice body. Your baby is so cute. How old is she? Thank you. Three months. What's her name? Kiara asked. Paris. I like that name. It's exotic. Her daddy came up with it, girl. I wanted to name her something else. Kiara couldn't take her eyes off Paris. She was such a pretty baby. Her big brown eyes, cinnamon skin, and curly brown hair made her so adorable. Kiara started getting excited about her own pregnancy. I hope I have a girl. So, what's your man in here for? She asked Kiara. Street shit. The girl nodded her head in silence. She switched her baby to the other arm, and that's when Kiara noticed the only tattoo the girl had. Pierre was tatted on her right wrist in cursive. Kiara thought her mind was playing tricks on her. That can't say what I think it says. She closely examined the girl's tattoo again, and it in fact was Pierre's name on her wrist. Kiara took another look at Paris. The baby did resemble Pierre a little bit. She looked back at the girl and back at Paris again. Nah, I know this ain't real. It can't be. I know Pierre wouldn't do me dirty like that. Maybe it's another nigga named Pierre locked up in here. It has to be. The line was moving swiftly, and they were getting closer to signing in and going inside, but a million thoughts run through Kiara's head. She had to say something. That's a nice tattoo on your wrist. Kiara needed some clarification. Thanks. It says Pierre. I really don't know where I'd be without this man. He's always been there for me. I love him to death. He got caught up in some shit, but I'm always going to be there for him because I love him. There's my clarification. It is? That's it? I mean, I, yeah, the... The chance that there's more than one Pierre in the prison that's black, yeah, that's shaky. But that's your clarification? For real? Because she said her man is there for her? Okay. Let's just stretch. That's a stretch up a moaning yonin. Kiara felt like she had been hit by a Mack truck. She was so distraught she almost fell on the floor. But luckily, the young lady caught her. Are you okay? Um, I didn't get your name. Yes, thank you. I'm fine. Excuse me for a moment. Kiara ran to the bathroom and threw up everything she had for breakfast. She was absolutely crushed. I can't believe this motherfucker had a whole baby behind my back with another bitch. Would you feel better if it was a half a baby? How about a quarter? Here I am riding for him, risk my freedom for him, bust my ass, B-U-S-S-E-D. Busted, maybe? Busted? 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 Okay, I'll say busted. Busting my ass, coming up with the money to pay Rico, carrying his seed, and he was playing me the whole goddamn time? He got this whole lace in diamonds, but I had to pawn all my shit and sell my only means of transportation so we could pay Rico? A bitch out here walking and this nigga spending money on another hoe? I should fuck both their asses up. Kiara tried to hold back the tears but couldn't. A small puddle formed on her cheeks. How could I be so stupid? Kiara sat down in the stall, confused, angry, and heartbroken. The man she loved wholeheartedly just committed the ultimate betrayal. He played the fuck out of me. Instead of causing a scene and possibly getting arrested, Kiara decided to leave. She was done with Pierre. He had a whole family and she wasn't a part of it. The Greyhound Ryback felt like an eternity. Kiara cried until her eyes were swollen. He really had a baby by another bitch. He really had a baby by another bitch. Uh, uh, and I'm sick with it. 
He really had a baby by another bitch. Uh, uh, with his little dick. He really had a baby by another bitch. Uh, uh, and I'm through with it. He really had a baby by another bitch. Uh, uh, and I'm about to throw a fit. Hey. Why? Kiara began questioning herself. And if she could have been a better girlfriend. Did I love him enough? Did I hold him down the way I was supposed to? Don't be second-guessing yourself, Key. You went above and beyond for Pierre. Fuck him. It's not your fault he couldn't keep his dick to himself, Maxine told her after Kiara revealed to her what had happened at the prison. Maxine is right. Fuck Pierre. It's his loss, not mine. He had a down-ass bitch and fucked it up. She cut off all communication with him. She stopped writing him, moved out of their apartment, and even changed her number. Pierre was confused when he tried calling Kiara, and the operator said the number was no longer in service. Why would she change her number without telling me? She wasn't returning any of his letters and hadn't visited him in weeks. Pierre thought the worst. I know she ain't fucking with another nigga while I'm down. He sent Hakeem over to check on her, but Kiara was long gone. What you mean she don't live there no more? Pierre asked Hakeem. Hakeem came to deliver the bad news. Just what I said, B. I went to see what was good with her, but some old Mexican lady opened the door. I went to holler at the manager and he told me Kiara moved out weeks ago. The fuck was going on? Pierre was hot. Maybe she moved on. Hakeem saw the look on Pierre's face and realized he should have kept that comment to himself. You could see the veins popping out of Pierre's forehead. He was crazy about Kiara and expected her to hold him down while he served his bid. Fuck you mean moved on? That's my bitch. Ain't no moving on, nigga. When you find out something, let me know. Pierre hung up the phone so hard it cracked. He was losing his cool. Prison was already taking a toll on him, and for now, it seemed like Kiara abandoned him when he needed her the most. For Kiara, hey, look, a paragraph! For Kiara, <laughs> keeping the baby was no longer an option. She didn't want anything connecting her to Pierre, and a baby would do just that. She made an appointment to get an abortion. Maxine drove her to the clinic and sat with her until her name was called for the procedure. Maxine was very familiar with abortions, being that she had now had four. Maxine had no desire to become a mother. She was way too selfish for that. Kiara filled out all the necessary paperwork. She looked around the waiting room and noticed everyone in there had the same dismal look on their faces. Look, you wanting to live your own life and not wanting to have to cater to other people, especially people you have to watch over for the rest of their lives, is in no way selfish. It's really not. Like, if you don't want to fucking have a kid, good on you. Because you can still hang around kids when you want to. You can be an auntie, a, a uncle, a teacher, a, a coach, something. You ain't got to be around kids of your own. Like, them motherfuckers is a lot. So I understand. Don't be calling these motherfuckers selfish. Also, there's a song that I just heard yesterday that fucking made me laugh. Shit, it's called BDF, Baby Daddy Free. And it's about a woman who's going to get an abortion. It's the best pro-choice song I've heard in a long-ass time.
bitches having babies, but that ain't finna be me. Said he wanna settle down, niggas selling all these dreams. He got one kid, two kid, three kid, four. Bitch, he cheaper by the dozen if his ass have any more. And I'm only 25, still got a couple years to go. I don't need a babysitter, cause this baby gotta go. It's a shortage on the milk, and them diapers be expensive. I ain't tryna be a milk, so I swallow all his children. I got hyphy in my blood, so you know I'm big. Niggas trying to fall in love, tell them niggas I ain't with it I done took care of niggas, now it's time to care for me Rearrange the alphabets and skip the L's, I'm a P I be on these bitches next, they like Nick, I can't breathe VVS is in my Cuban and my wrist is AP Let's go, yeah. bitch, I got murder on my mind murder. Let's go, murder. bitch, murder. I got murder on my mind murder. Let's go, <laughs> bitch, I got murder on my mind Let's go Bitch, I got murder on my mind I'm BDF, nigga, baby, daddy free That me, I ain't got a nigga, baby, coming out of me So I'm A-B-O-R-T-I-N-G On my way to the clinic, I forgot the plan B Let's go When the nurse finally called her name a sense of fear came over her. Maxine could sense her friend's anxiety. It's okay, Key. I'll be waiting for you out here when you're done. It's going to be okay. Thanks, Maxine. Kiara was grateful for her friend. She didn't know what to expect, but it ended up being the worst experience of her life. She felt horrible. It took her a few weeks to heal. She never wanted to go through this again. Kiara promised herself this would be her last abortion and that her next pregnancy would be by her husband, whoever that was. After the abortion, Kiara moved in with Maxine until she got back on her feet. Once she was fully healed, she immediately went job hunting. She needed money, fast. A part of her missed how Pierre took care of her and spoiled her, but those days were over. She had to make it on her own now. With only a high school diploma to her name, Kiara's job options were limited. She went on a couple interviews for some retail positions, but after they told her what they were going to be paying her, Kiara wasn't the least bit interested. Pierre had gotten her used to a certain lifestyle, and minimum wage wasn't it. After one of Kiara's interviews, she went back to her car and saw a flyer on the window. Amateur night at Diamonds tomorrow night. If you think you got what it takes to hit the stage, come join us for a night of fun, the flyer said. It had the address on the bottom. Kiara never danced before, but she was running out of options. She refused to work for crumbs, but was down to her last dime. She still didn't have a car, and had to use Maxine's just to get around. Maybe I should do this amateur night. Kiara needed money so she could get her own spot. Maxine was her girl and all, but Kiara wanted her own space. Maxine practically brought a new nigga home every night, so it was impossible for Kiara to have any real privacy. How hard can it be to shake your ass on stage for money? She decided to put her voluptuous body to use and did an amateur night of diamonds. I have nothing to lose, she thought before hitting the stage. She ended up killing it. All the fellows were enamored with the caramel skinned beauty with enough ass to carry a small family. <laughs> Kiara made over $600 in tips and was hired by the owner, Money, on the spot. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify, leave a review on Podchaser, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, leave a review on Good Pods. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. 
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.